I'll encourage you to turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 16. Now, you've heard this story, of course, right? Even in the secular realm, in the sports realm, people talk about this is a David and Goliath story, right? Another way of saying this is the story of an underdog. And there's something about the underdog narrative that really draws us in, right? There's something about, you know, the person that's not necessarily qualified. Maybe he doesn't have the ability. Uh, but when they come into a situation and they really succeed and they uh, exceed expectations, there's something that stirs up within us when we see the underdog. And I caught a, a video here that I want to show you to kind of illustrate this. And you'll get the connection here. Check this out. Let this draw you in. Feel this. Here we go. Grace Athena High School in Rochester, New York, has a new, most unlikely hero, a special ed student by the name of Jason McElwain. Let's keep it going. Jason is the basketball team manager. For the past couple years, he's been assisting coach Jim Johnson, helping with whatever the team needs. And go! Get him motivated and uh, hand out water and just be enthusiastic. Enthusiastic, to say the least. Despite being born with autism, Jason's father says his son has never had a problem expressing himself at basketball games. You know, I was always concerned that he might get a technical and they lose a game because he, you know, start yelling or whatever. Let's have a hard practice tomorrow, all hour and a half, and let's get ready for Arcadia. Let's okay. go. One, two, three, two. Because he has been so devoted to the team, for the last game of the season, Coach Johnson decided to let Jason actually suit up. Not to play necessarily, just to let him feel what it's like to wear a jersey. At least that was the plan. But with four minutes to go in last week's game, Coach Johnson stood up and pointed to number 52, Jason McElwain. After years of fetching water and toweling off other people's sweat, Jason was actually in a game. His first shot was a 20-footer from the right baseline. Was it close? Did you almost make I missed, it? I just airballed it. <laughs> I'm like, just, dear God, please, let's just get him a basket. His second shot missed, too, but the third was a charm. A three-point no-doubter. And Jason wasn't done yet. Not by a long shot. If I wasn't there to witness it, I wouldn't have believed it, you know? You caught fire. I just caught fire. I was hot as a pistol. Jason ended up shooting six three-pointers one right after the other. He had 20 points total, and each time a shot went in, his teammates and the crowd went a little crazier. His last basket, right at the buzzer, created total mayhem. Because he is autistic, Jason says he's used to feeling different, but never this different, never this wonderful. Steve Hartman, CBS News, Rochester, New York. Oh, yeah, how about that, huh? Yeah, what goes through your mind when you see those kinds of videos? My kids and my wife always laugh at me because they know when I'm watching one of those because something about that just grips me. And, uh, and they can tell when I'm watching one of those videos because I start to get the... <laughs> right? But what is about that underdog narrative that just stirs us up so much? We love to see the ones that are weak or young or not qualified do something amazing far beyond what anybody thought. And that's the narrative that we see here in the life of David. 
Now, what I wanted to share this morning is not necessarily to just go over that story. That's important, and that's part of it. But I think what makes it so important for us here that belong to Jesus and understanding how this applies to our heart is to look at what happened before David's moment of victory and to compare him to another king, King Saul. I don't know if you remember the history of Israel, but uh, the, the nation of Israel was in trouble. They had been hearing from God. They had had, you know, some judges and some other people representing, but they said, now we want a king, just like other nations. So God was going to answer their prayer, and he worked through a man named Samuel, one of the prophets, to anoint the king of Israel. And the very first king was a man named Saul. And we're going to be comparing him to King David because they're two very different stories. Just to bring you up to speed, Saul was there doing his thing. Uh, he was a very strong man, very handsome man. And, um, and his father sent Saul on a journey, a rather obscure journey. He said, Saul, we've lost a pack of donkeys and your big task, if you can handle it, is to go and find these donkeys. Okay, so he went on a three-day journey. Just enter into the story here to try and find these donkeys. I would have said, forget it after about two hours. But staying overnight, camping out, looking for donkeys, checking with people. But he ends up meeting this man named Samuel, who's a prophet. God spoke to Samuel and said, this guy right here, Saul, this is the one who's going to be the king of Israel. So Samuel came down. He anointed him. He blessed him and said, this is your moment. You're going to be the king. And so Saul then went back to his family, and the situation unfolds from there. And we're going to dive into this comparative. That's the way I've kind of laid out the notes here. Four different lines, four different characteristics of each one of them. And our key thought here for this morning is this. How do we overcome in any situation? Remember this. We need to believe what God says and we need to be ready for your moment. Believe what God says and be ready for your moment. So let's go ahead and dive into the narrative and see what happens here. This first point, the first connection point that we want to make between Saul, who ends up being the spectator, and David, who ends up being the champion, is this. Number one, Saul had the appearance. Saul had the appearance. In chapter 9, verse 2, it says, And Saul was a very handsome man who stood head and shoulders above everybody else. So when you talk about physical stature and you talk about leadership qualities and you talk about an imposing figure, Saul had every bit of it. Physically, most likely personality-wise, he would have been a great choice to be king. And that's the first one that God chose. Compare that to what we see in David. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, where I had you turn, we see this incredible account and this incredible verse that's been echoed over the years, and it's a great one for us. If you remember the story, Samuel came down and asked David's father, bring all your sons out here because I'm going to choose the next king. Saul has failed. It's not going to work. I'm choosing the next one. And every single one of the sons lined up, from oldest and greatest in stature to the youngest. And Samuel said, nope, none of these are the ones. 
Are you sure there's no more? Is there any other sons? And David's father said, oh yes, there is the youngest, but he's out with the sheep. Well, let me bring him in. Look at this verse right here, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't look at the appearance or at the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. It's the opposite of what you would think. It was said of David, here I have set aside for a king, a man after my own heart. Whereas Saul had the appearance, David had the heart, which is more important. Over and over in scripture you see, even in the New Testament with Jesus, in the way that he dealt with people, right? It wasn't the outward, it wasn't the appearance, it wasn't how loudly you pray, it wasn't how much money you give, it's not how holy you look. But God goes much deeper than that, to the heart. And David somehow, even at a young age, understood that he had the heart of God, he had compassion, he had a heart to rescue and he loved God. Let's look at the second point. You got Saul the spectator and David the champion. Now this is huge. Saul, number two, hid from his calling. Saul hid from his calling. Now I need to tell you that while I was studying this week and, and just kind of going over this message, it was just an unbelievable moment and a refreshing moment for me an application to our church body about this very thing because Saul remember he was chosen by God he was anointed by Samuel he was called to be the very first king of Israel the very first one the George Washington of Israel huge important thing right and here in chapter 10, we get this incredible account that Samuel said, Saul, you're going to be the one. I'm going to anoint you with oil. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to pray for you. And you're going to leave from here. This was on his journey, remember, with the donkeys. So on his way back, he met all these other prophets coming down from the mountain. And it says that Saul began to prophesy along with them. In other words, it had to do with singing songs, talking about scripture, praying to God. So Saul was right in with them. He had an incredible spiritual experience. So much so, in chapter 10, there's several key nuances in here that you don't need to turn there. But I just want to share with you. These are huge. It says, the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. You will prophesy with them and you will be turned into another man. This is what Samuel is saying about Saul. You were one way, but you're going to be turned into a completely different individual. Later on in chapter 9, it says, When Saul turned his back to leave Samuel and to walk away, God gave him another heart. Those are incredible phrases. And man, we think about in Christianity how we like to rally around certain things, right? In Corinthians, it talks about, you know, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. And we got like these little catchphrases that we love and that they're great. But man, anybody ever read that one before about Saul? Is he was made into another man. And that God gave him a brand new heart. 
He had a profound spiritual experience. He was anointed king, and now he's coming down off the mountain. And it says when he went back to his family, when he got back and he started talking to his uncle, his uncle said, hey, what happened? I heard that you talked to Samuel, you know, this great prophet. What, what happened there? And Saul said, oh, he had just told me that the donkeys we were looking for were now found. Period. And it says, in Scripture, but the matter of the kingdom of which Samuel had spoken, he did not tell anything. So I want you to think about this for a moment. And I want you to think about your life and this idea about hiding from your calling. So here's a man who had had a profound spiritual experience. Everything was going great. He was there. He was anointed. He comes back and, oh, what did he say? Uh, you know, oh, <laughs> nothing. Just, just said that the donkeys were found. He refused to open up and share his spiritual experience. He didn't let anybody else into that. And notice the culmination now, later on, here in this very same chapter. Now all of a sudden they were getting ready to anoint their first king. <laughs> Hundreds of thousands of people gathered. They're bringing everybody out, tribe by tribe. Everybody's waiting. They bring the tribe of Saul out, and they're ready. And okay, well, here's going to be your new king. It is Saul! Well, where is he? His family's here. His brothers are here. He should be here. Everybody just kind of hangs out in their family. That's how they did it back then. Nothing. Couldn't find him. Nowhere. Check out this next verse. It says this. So he brought the tribe of Benjamin near and its clans. And the clan of the Matrites was taken by Lot. And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. But when they sought him, he could not be found. So they inquired again of the Lord, Is there a man still to come? What's going on? Who's our king? And the Lord said, behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. Then they ran and they took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. Are you catching the narrative? This was his moment. He was anointed. He had the experience. And he was called for. And it was ready. And yet he's somehow over there hiding in the baggage. This man who's so strong, who's so tall, who's so qualified, who got anointed. He's hiding. I love that thought that he's hiding in the baggage. That's a whole lesson for us in itself, right? What was in the baggage? Was it supplies? Was it weapons? Was it food? Things? He's over there just tinkering around and not doing what he should be doing. God's called him to something great. He's making excuses. Maybe he's pretending that he's looking for something or doing something you know, important when he should be over here leading his people. But he refused his call. That's a good thought for us here this morning. As you think about this concept of, man, how do we overcome? How was Saul different from David? He buried his burden. He breezed over his blessing. He challenged the change that God wanted to make in his life. He ignored the experience. He kept silent about his new heart and how he had been made a new man. 
And I wonder here, if we're honest with ourselves, if we really look at this narrative and we think about our own lives, I wonder how many people here have had some sort of profound experience with God. Maybe you were at a retreat, maybe you were at a conference, maybe it was a church service, maybe it was something where you knew that God was stirring in your heart, God was calling you to something and you were ready for it. But now when the moment has come, you hide yourself in the baggage. Think about some of these concepts. Maybe for you the baggage is your past. Maybe it's your, your fears. That's what you're hiding behind. Maybe it's your lack of knowledge. Maybe it's really a lack of desire. Maybe you feel like you have a lack of ability. I'm sure Saul had a lot of these same exact feelings. I want you to think about this this morning. There's an element in our spiritual life that it has to be external before it can go any more internal. All right, let me explain to you what I mean. I, I don't mean what we were talking about before where it's all just what you're doing over here and you're extra. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm saying when God's done something in your life, instead of hiding it, instead of keeping it to yourself, there's an element in which you need to share that burden with people and allow people, invite people in to that area of your heart. Because what would have happened if Saul reacted differently if he came back from this experience and his uncle said, hey man, what's going on? Oh, donkeys? Who cares about the donkeys? Forget that. Check this out. Here's what God did in my life. I was able to sing and worship and pray and he's got me as the next king and I can't believe it. I'm so excited. He's with me. His spirit is with me. I'm a new man. I've got a new heart. And he's inviting people in to that. But instead, like many, many of us, we don't let people in to those situations, those feelings. We don't share that externally to allow it to take hold even deeper. You think about the life of Christ, right? He was our biggest example of that, of inviting people into every emotion, every thought, every feeling, constantly. Instead of being, you know, on some zenith or apex on his own as the leader, stand alone, I'm focused. He's like, no, I want to bring you in. I want to share with you my life. I want to tell you about my fears and my anxieties and my passion and my sorrow. I want to show all that to you. Are you hiding from that burden that God's given you? Or are you freely sharing it? You compare that with the life of David, man. Instead of hiding from his calling, David couldn't resist his calling. It was so deep inside of him from the beginning, from when he was young, from you know when God said, oh no, a man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. This is the guy. Yes, this skinny, scrawny, young David. We don't really know how old he was. Probably a young teenager, 13, 14, 15 maybe. But he wasn't a warrior. But he knew that God had given him this calling. And so David is given this menial task of going to visit his brothers who were out with Saul, part of the nation of Israel, in the army, getting ready to do battle. David was given a task, you ready for this? To deliver bread and ten cheeses. So David's a little Panera delivery boy going up to all of his brothers and all these great warriors with his cheese, mocked by his brothers, and yet 
here's the time where he believed in God and he was ready for his moment. You know the narrative. Goliath had stood up day after day after day challenging the nation of Israel. Nobody was standing up to him. Nobody was doing anything. And here we get young David on the scene. Let's go ahead and read the passage. 1 Samuel 17, 22 and 23. What happened here is what it says. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers as he talked with them. Behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard I want you to notice some pretty awesome comparison here, right? Here's David with his cheeses and with his bread delivering it. He's up and all of a sudden he hears the tales of this guy defying the armies of God week after week after week. And it says that David left his stuff where? With the keeper of the baggage. How's that compare with what Saul did, right? He's hiding in the baggage. David's running away from the baggage. It says he ran down to his brothers, and he's hearing this man defy the armies of God. I love that last line, and David heard him. And that stirred something up deep within him, this passion of this God that he loved. He couldn't stand by and let this man defame the God of Israel over and over and over again. So let's keep on reading. What's the next thing that we see? The third comparison. Saul, the spectator, was frozen with indecision. It had said for 40 days this same pageantry happened. The same lineup, Goliath coming out, defying the God of Israel. Please, anybody, come down and fight me. Can nobody fight me? I defy your God. I curse your God. For 40 days. And here's Saul, remember, the one that's big and strong. He's almost a giant in himself. Powerless, indecisive, doing nothing. A shell of a man. Oh, what should we do today? I don't know. It's day 35. It's day 36. Same thing, day after day after day. Standing, silent, no action. Indecisive, scared. And then you've got the opposite of that in David. He's confident in God's character he's confident in God's character let's read the passage and so Saul then said to David you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him for you are but a youth and he has been a man of war from his youth but David said to Saul your servant used to keep sheep for his father and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and I struck him and I delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and I struck him and I killed him. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. David had experienced enough in his life that he had confidence to enter into this greater battle. Now, I don't want us to miss this. Because David had been hanging out with sheep, 
And, you know, we look at this and, you know, we come up with the concept that like, well, if God is victorious with you in small battles, he's preparing you for a great battle. I don't picture fighting a lion and fighting a bear as a small battle. Do you? You ever had any experience with a lion or a bear? I have. I really have. I was camping once when I was in college with some of my buddies and four of us in a four-man tent, which means, you know, you're kind of half on top of each other. You know how that goes, right? Well, middle of the night, long story short, this giant black bear comes rolling into our cabin, brushes up against the side of the tent. I kid you not. And so I'm, we're all like, ah, and this thing's brushing right up against the tent. I could have poked him. I didn't because that would have been stupid. But I could smell them. They stink, by the way. So it's going over there, and we got a little flashlight. What are we going to do? It, sure enough, climbs up, knocks down our backpack with all of our breakfast foods in it, and it just starts shredding that thing, opening it up, and it's, you know, licking the milk that we had for breakfast and eating the eggs, and we had some steak in there and some bacon. It was going to be a nice breakfast on the campsite. But this thing's going crazy. Now, think about David. You know, think about if there's a bear or a lion going after a little lamb, what are you going to do? Hey, you know what? Take the lamb. It's okay. I got lots more. That's what our attitude was. You know what? Have the backpack. Go nuts on it. I'm not going to risk myself to get out there and save this. David could have had that same attitude, right? But it was his heart as a shepherd that said, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best. And, God, you know, my father has entrusted me. God's going to protect me. I'm going to protect these sheep. And God came through for him. In these small things, comparison, success, that gave David the confidence, the supreme confidence to go out against Goliath. He proved his faithfulness. So as we think about our lives right now then, let's think about this comparison. Think about Saul standing on the sidelines, afraid, indecisive, not sure what to do. He hadn't had the experiences that David had because of those small victories. So as I was thinking through this message and thinking about our people and praying for you guys, even earlier on this morning, just walking back and forth in these aisleways, thinking about the people that would be filling these seats, I can't help but wonder... How many situations are going on right here that happened there with David? With the bear and with the lion. I mean, there was fear associated with that, but he stepped into it. There were some cuts and bruises probably that went along with that. There was inconvenience and trial that went along with that. But those built up. The courage for him to now step into this greater realm and to go down in Scripture as one of the greatest servants of God. Because he didn't waste those situations. And I think about our people right now. And I think about some of the things that some of you are going through. Incredible difficulty, incredible trial. For some, incredible pain, physical pain, emotional pain. These are smaller opportunities. Some of them are 
huge opportunities for God to prove his strength and to prove his faithfulness. So I just want to encourage you this morning, don't waste that pain. That anxiety, that fear that you're going through even right now, it doesn't have to be in vain. Those scars that you have from difficult times you've had to stand up for what's right, that doesn't have to be in vain. Maybe a good takeaway for that would be to, man, keep some sort of journal about that time that you lost your job or you couldn't pay your bills or, man, you were really struggling and then God somehow unexpectedly came through and provided for you and took care of you. How quickly we, just like the nation of Israel, forget all the things that God has done for us and seen us through. I love that the apostle Paul says, I have learned to be content in every circumstance. I've known what it's like to have plenty. He says, I've known what it's like to have my money bag full and I can pay for the meal at the Jerusalem cafe and take care of people and buy new things. Like, yeah, I've known that. Paul says, I've known what it's like to be in want. I've known what it's like to have nothing. But as he went through those difficulties, he sees God's faithfulness and God's provision and that builds up trust and builds up strength and builds up confidence. And that's why we love the underdog story, because David stood up to him. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if people are making fun of me. Saul, it doesn't matter what you think, because you don't think I can do it. And you remember the story? Saul took all of his armor and said, okay, well, if you're going to do it, go for it. Here's all of my armor on you. Think about the idea of dressing then like somebody else. Pretending, in essence, to be somebody else. Nope, that didn't work. It's too heavy. Can't handle it. Can't move. Forget it. I'm going to go out just as I am. Just with a sling and five smooth stones. I'm going to go out without any armor. Saul's the man that's got the armor, but he's a shell of a man. And David's the one that doesn't have any armor. He's vulnerable, but he belongs to God. And you know the story. He just throws it. Kills Saul instantly, goes and cuts off his head. Giant victory for the nation of Israel. They go chasing after the Philistines, and they win. But there's one more piece to the equation that I want to outline for you. Final thing we see the difference between Saul and between David is this. Saul became bitter and jealous. Right in the very next chapter, you don't have to turn there, but it's so great. Right in the very next chapter, chapter 18, verse 6, it says this. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistines, the women came out in all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, and they said... Saul has struck down thousands, but David tens of thousands. This was their chant. I, need some, I think somebody needs to maybe go in and like teach them a little bit about rhythm and cadence. So I'm not sure that really fits, right? Saul has killed his thousands, and David tens of thousands. Saul has killed his thousands, and David tens of thousands. Like, it doesn't really stick. But that's what they were singing. Like, Saul, yep, that's fine. But David... 
so it says then, Saul became bitter and jealous. There's something about being on the sidelines that causes bitterness. Think about this. There's something maybe even for some of you that maybe have been out of the game. Maybe you could have had that opportunity. You could have stepped up. But instead, you let your fear get the best of you. And you were hiding in the baggage. And so you're on the sidelines, just like Saul was. And you see other people stepping up and doing great and overcoming. There's something about being over here that can lend itself to bitterness and jealousy, even in the church. But then you've got David. After he overcame, that turned into something incredible, right? Instead of being bitter and jealous, that turns into passion and being more zealous. That turned into more and more energy, more and more, more inertia. And like a snowball effect, he was seeing more and more. He became one of the greatest warriors, one of the greatest lovers of God, one of the greatest musicians and a poet. And his heart was there for everybody to see. And he became a great leader in Israel. And he was so passionate. He was so strong. He knew what to say. He was an incredible leader. Because he stepped out. And because he believed what God said. And because he was ready for his move. So I don't know where that lands here this morning with a lot of you. We got our key phrase up there, and I love this quote by John Piper that says, if you are sufficient for the task, then it must be too small. If by yourself you're sufficient for the task, then the task must be not big enough, not great enough. And that's what we see in the life of David, who was young, vulnerable, frail. This task was way too big for him on his own. I guess my question to you this morning is, where are you stepping out to face those giants, to face those issues? My prayer is that we would see some unthinkable underdog stories happen within this body. Cancer can be a giant. Divorce, personal temptation, addiction. There are many of us that maybe live kind of in this underdog world, in this defeated world. And maybe there's fear to step out and share your faith. That's hiding in the baggage. Maybe there's fear to really have that conversation about finances with your wife because you're swimming and you're in trouble and nobody wants to face it. That's hiding in the baggage. Maybe there's fear to really step up as a spiritual leader in your, in your home and God's calling you to that. God's prepared you for that, but you're just over there hiding and refusing to answer the call. That's hiding in the baggage. And our prayer this morning is that God would allow us to truly understand and believe what he said and that we would be aware and ready for our moment. The story of David's incredible. We're going to be carrying on with it a little bit more in two weeks as Brian's going to talk about, hey, even these leaders, even these champions, even these victors, they have their moment. They can fall. They can fail. 
And we're going to see that a little bit later on, but for now we just want to center on this idea of David and him being a champion. How does David tie into the thread of Scripture? We've been talking about each one of these stories, each one of these narratives, and how they enter into the grand story of Jesus. Where here, you, here you got David that was born in where? Bethlehem. Right? It's called the city of David. That's where Jesus was born. Here you've got somebody that was young and lowly and there wasn't a whole lot of respect for him. And yet he overcame and he defeated the greatest of evil. And here you've got Jesus according to the book of Isaiah chapter 53. It says he had no stately form. He had no majesty that we should be drawn to him. It wasn't in the outward appearance. It was in that heart of a shepherd that wanted to rescue, that wanted to overcome evil with good let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes and let's pray together oh father we just uh we thank you for who you are god we thank you for your promises we thank you for your word and over and over and over again you give strength to those who are weakest and lord those who are humble you raise up and you lift up to high places of honor and God, my prayer is for those here that maybe have been hiding. Those who have been hiding from their call, hiding from their responsibility. God, we don't want to see them on the sidelines anymore. So Lord, I just pray for an infusion of power by the strength of your Holy Spirit. Lord, that you would just allow us to be overcomers even to take small steps and have small victories so that those can just snowball into a people and into a church that are so filled with passion for you that the world can't help but take notice. Lord, you see through to the heart of this place. You know the issues going on. You know the baggage and the weights that are keeping us back. Lord, I pray that you would just do a work through your word this morning. We love you.